and um, something that's probably that we see less and less of in the world anyway today is uh, living unselfishly. You know, we we live in a selfish world. Uh, I want mine. I want to do what I want to do. I want to take care of myself. And while I'm in agreement of taking care of yourself, um, I'm also uh, captured by the scriptures that give me an example of how to live where that I realize I'm not the most important thing, that I serve a Lord, and I've got a God who has given example after example and of his mercy and grace. And for me to say that I want to be like Jesus and then live selfishly, it just don't, those parts don't fit. It'll never mix uh, together. That's a, that's a life that, that just won't, won't work. So uh, we're going to be talking over the next four lessons about living unselfishly. Today, uh, our lesson title is The Attitude of Jesus. Why don't we stand first and let's just lift our hands and thank the Lord this morning. God's been good to us and we just want to give him some praise in this house today. God, we thank you and praise you for your mercy, for your love and kindness. What a privilege to be in your house and to be in your presence once again. Thank you for the many benefits, God, that you give us every day. For your mercy and compassion, your love that never fails. God, we give you honor and glory in this house today. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're going to do today. We praise you in advance. We love you today. Give the Lord a hand clap and shout of praise. Hallelujah. Well, we bless your name in this house, oh God. Hallelujah. We thank the Lord. You can be seated. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord this morning. So the attitude of Jesus, uh, we must have the attitude of Jesus if we're going to model him and live unselfishly. If your attitude toward this life is different than his, then you'll live different than he lived. That's just a fact. You can say, People have, well, this world, pastor, people have opinions, and that's fine, uh, but there's some things that our opinion doesn't matter about. It's what does the Word tell us to do, and how does the Word teach us to act, and, and what did Jesus do? That's, that little WWJD got so big several years back. People had T-shirts, wristbands, anything you could put it on, uh, but it should say, would you actually do what Jesus would do? Uh, because that's the thing. You, you, know, you want to be catchy and trendy, put that on your shirt. But will you actually do what Jesus said he would do? Yeah. And that's where I want to find myself. And so in Philippians, actually I'm going to read this narrative first. But uh, think about the night that um, uh, Jesus was about to have what we call the Last Supper. And um, we'll see a lot about the attitude of Jesus and um, you know, he knew going into this room this night with his disciples that this was going to be uh, one of the last times he had to address them, that he would really be able to teach them and show them some things And because he knew that in just a few days they would be scattered and he would be hanging on a cross. He would be suspended between heaven and earth, dying to save humanity from their sins. But on that night, while gathered with uh, this group of misfits, you know, come from all different walks and different ones. Jesus said, have not I chosen you all and one of you is a devil. 
he knew what kind of people he had sitting with him. He taught a powerful lesson, and it became a lesson that the apostles would preach and teach for years to come. It was the last supper that Jesus would eat with the twelve who had followed him for the past three years. Not just any supper, it was the feast of Passover, which each of the four gospel writers depicted, but only the apostle John recorded the moment that Jesus humbled himself and took on the role of a servant by washing the feet of his disciples. So he grabs a wash basin, a towel, and he begins to wash the feet of the twelve one by one. Can you imagine how awkward that was? Sitting in there, can you imagine being number one, the first guy that he comes to? How awkward you would feel that Jesus, your master, I've watched him walk on water, I've watched him raise the dead, I've watched him perform miracle after miracle. I believe that he's the Christ, and he wants to wash my nasty Jerusalem feet. All the dust and grime and things they've walked through, and, and he's doing that, and Uh, But as he's doing this, he's revealing the true nature of humility. And people have a hard time with humility because they see being humble as being weak. But humility is not weakness. Uh, It's actually uh, something that brings blessing and and, uh, brings power. So uh, even Peter tries to stop him from doing this. You know, don't do this. And uh, but he continues until each foot of the twelve have been cleansed. He understood that just in a few short hours, each of his followers would in one way or another abandon him during the hour of his greatest need, but he continued. That's part of his attitude. Even though he knows how people are going to treat him, he doesn't change who he is. And that's one attitude that we need to get in our mind, that even though we know that there are people who won't believe us, receive what we say, even be thankful for what we do, we don't change who we are. We don't change our outlook because of the circumstance or because of the person. We must be consistent like he's consistent. So uh, the uncertainty of what he was intending to do was, I'm sure, among all of them, they were so caught up in all the events that had just transpired that Maybe they mistook his act of servanthood as being somewhat of an insult to their intelligence. And as Jesus approaches Peter, he draws back and says, You will never wash my feet. But Jesus said, If I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. And he's like, Not my feet, but my hands and my head. You know, he do, do all these things. And uh, because there's one thing I don't want Jesus to ever say is, You have no part in me. Although at this time they did not understand the reason that Jesus humbled himself, he told them that after his death that they would come to full understanding of why he was doing what he was doing. And so by humbling himself and washing the feet of his disciples, Jesus taught a lesson to not only his disciples but to us as well. We must recognize how vital it is to fulfill the role of a servant and humble ourselves as Jesus portrayed in this gospel. It is not enough for us to profess we are Christians. We must also show the world and each other the impact that Jesus is making in our lives. We need the attitude of Jesus, so uh, we may be in need of an attitude adjustment. A lot of times we say that in like a punishing kind of way. Well, they just need an attitude adjustment. But sometimes even us, as sincere as we can be, we may need an adjustment. You know, everything at some times needs an adjustment. Your car, the front end can get out of line. It needs adjusting. 
the sound equipment can go to screaming and hollering. It needs a little adjustment. And so anything that's going to work right oftentimes needs to be adjusted, but it needs to be adjusted by somebody who knows what they're doing. You don't want the butcher working on your car. You know, he's not, he don't know how to fix the front end. He knows how to cut steak. You need somebody who knows what they're doing. And so if I'm going to get my attitude right, I'm going to get it through the Word of God and through the preached Word of God and from the one who I'm trying to mirror. I want to be like him. Now, uh, we must realize some people have a hard time with being a servant, but the Scripture says that the servant is not greater than his master. And so if Jesus was going to serve people, then I am going to serve people because I am not greater than him. Just because he has filled me with his spirit and washed away my sins does not set me on a pedestal high above the rest of the world, but it has commissioned me to go out and serve, to work in the harvest, to labor in the field of souls that this world is providing for us today. We need to understand that we are servants of the most high God. And so if we are a servant, then we will perform the role of a servant. It's not just a catchy little title, hey, I serve the Lord. Do you? You know, let me ask you this. Do you put more value in what people do or what they say? Well, you know, we put more value on what people do because people lie. Come on. That's why, uh, you know, from the very basis of things, we, people will say, well, I'm not going to vote for that guy. He said he would do this, and he ain't done nothing. But he made all these campaign promises, but then he didn't do it. You know, we, or, you know, he said it would be ready by this time, and it wasn't. You know, we put stock in what people do. Now, Jesus has always done what he said he would do. So I can, now I can take God at his word. But people, they can tell me something. I'll believe them. But once they show me they, they're not going to do what they said they would do, you know, I, I lose trust. It doesn't mean I don't love people. It don't mean I don't like them. But hey, if you say you're going to do it, do it. You know, the scripture tells us don't make a vow and not keep it. It'd be better just not to vow. And so uh, that's, that's something we, we put more emphasis on what people do because we're supposed to be doers of the word. And so we're supposed to take up a cross and follow him. And so if they can't see me acting like Jesus, why would they believe me when I say I'm like him? People are going to look at what you do, what they see. We're the light of the world. He said, you don't put a light under a bushel. People's got to see what's going on in your life so they can glorify your Father in heaven. So don't think you're going to be this secret spy 007 Christian. A man of, you know, got several uh, Christian passports in your closet hid in a box under the floorboard. So uh, let me see which one I can pull out. I'm going to this town today, so I'll, I'll be this Christian. I'll be... Uh, you be who you are every day, the same every day, and live your life for God. Now, in Philippians 2, Paul's writing, and he gives uh, uh, this, this discourse on the importance of having the mind of Christ. We, we talked about this after Jake preached last week. Uh, that scripture had come to my mind. I didn't even know it was going to be in this lesson, but uh, he starts out saying in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself, became obedient 
became obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. And so this was not just a, you know, something that sounded good that Paul was putting in there. He's trying to help us see that this is the lifestyle that should be mirrored uh, in the disciples around the world. The mind of Christ is uh, the ability to see life from the same perspective as Jesus. Sometimes we will make the mistakes of saying, well, he was God, and so he sees different. Oh, his ways are higher than my ways, and you know, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, but I can have the mind of Christ, and I can see this world the way he saw it when he wrapped himself in flesh and stood here because he was tempted in all points as we were, so he could experience. Uh, so he's, he experienced everything that we experience, and so we can, you know, the Bible tells us, forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. I can do that, but my mind has to be in that place. If I have the mind of Christ, then I have no problem forgiving others, even when they have done the most horrible of things to me. I can forgive them and keep moving because I still love them. Do you know that... Uh, Sometimes in this world, we'll say, well, I just don't love that person anymore. Well, maybe you are not in romantic love with that person anymore, but you always love people because God always loves people. Do you know that God loves everybody even though he may not be in the same relationship he was at one point in their life? People walk away from God. Does he stop loving them? No, he don't stop loving them, but the relationship is not the same. And they're, they're, not, they're not in fellowship with him anymore, but he still loves them. So we get the attitude of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And we start seeing uh, life from his perspective. And when you can do that, when you can really, and hey, don't, don't think it just comes free, downloaded free with your conversion. It takes prayer, fastings, seeking the scripture, reading, following the examples. Man, you can come fresh out of that water and still be ill as a hornet. Still be a little ornery. It takes discipleship is walking and learning. You know how rough, you know, Peter, even toward the end, was still kind of rough. Yeah. You imagine what he was like when he first picked him up? There's a lot of things not written that we don't read about. I'm sure there was some other conversations Jesus had with Peter. Hey, come here, Peter. I'm sure, because it just follows the pattern. But Peter didn't learn how to be that man that stood up on the day of Pentecost all at once. No, no, no. He walked with him for three and a half years and made mistakes, fell on his face, got rebuked, had troubles, denied the Lord, had all kinds of things, but learning all the while, learning how to be like him. And then he learned uh, how to act like Jesus. But you know, Paul even wrote, said, man, I had to rebuke Peter to his face one time because he got a little sideways again. Still getting rebuked. Still in trouble. But not giving up, walking with him, trying to be like Jesus. Take, sometimes it takes people to adjust your attitude. Paul was a man that uh, he didn't make himself to be of any reputation either, but he, uh, he knew he could see things. He said, what's the Bible say? If you see your brother overtaking a fault, if you're spiritual, restore him. So you know what he was doing? He was restoring attitude. Hey, Peter, that's not right for you to do that. And so uh, we need that sometimes in our life. I want to be like him. I don't want to just say I'm like him. I don't want to just hope I end up like him. You're going to have to take steps to be like him. It's going to have to happen. And so it's not enough to just profess to be disciples. 
<clears throat> we must also daily practice the lifestyle that Jesus exampled. Perspective is a particular attitude toward or way of regarding something, a point of view. And so we must consistently, passionately desire to be like Jesus in every area of our life. We've got to acquire his point of view if we're going to be like him. <clears throat> so his, what is his point of view? By closely examining his life and ministry, we can discover the Messiah's intent uh, in how he lived. Paul wrote that Jesus emptied himself, made himself of no reputation, humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Uh, he was, you know, though possessing full deity. John, the first chapter, says the word was God. In verse 14, says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And nine says, and all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. And so we know that he was God manifest in the flesh, 1 Timothy 3.16, but he did not consider his equality with God as something to be grasped or held on to. In other words, he did not hesitate to set aside his self-willed use of deity when he became a man. He knew that... Uh, he, he had to experience and be that servant, be that man, be that Lamb of God. And this is how we should live. Paul was expressing in this book a desire that each believer possess the same attitude in their lives, specifically with their, in their relationships with others. Because you know what? We live in a world of people. And we interact with people. And we associate with people. And we come in contact with new people. And we're always going to be around people. Guess what? You may not be a people person, but you better learn how to operate around people. You've got to learn how to communicate with people. You may not be somebody who likes to host parties, but you better learn how to go to the party so you can talk to people and work with people and tell somebody about Jesus so that you can love somebody and help them and encourage them and speak a word of faith to them, help them make it on to heaven. Yeah. Having the mind of Christ means we possess the same attitude that Jesus had in at least three distinct areas. Humility, compassion for the lost, and then a total dependence upon God. Some of those are tricky, more tricky than others for some people. So, if we look, we can find out how we can place these things in our daily walk with him. Now, when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, he took on the role of a servant. He humbled himself before his followers. He, you know, it reminds me of David when the glory was coming and they were bringing the ark back, how he stripped off his robe and his kingly garments so he could just worship God without uh, somebody saying, hey, you know, they knew he was the king, but he, he you know, he just... He said, I don't want any difference, right? He said, we're all worshipers today. And so what Jesus was showing, he said, yeah, I, I am your master and I'm your Lord. That's right, but I'm also a servant and I need my people to be servants. I'm trying to show you. So he humbled himself uh, to do these things uh, to show them what uh, it was like to be a servant. The act of servanthood was something that the disciples did not fully understand. And Jesus attempted, and this thing is going crazy today, isn't it? Jesus attempted to reveal to his disciples how important the act of humility was. You know that um, twice in Proverbs it says that before honor is humility. You know, don't ever think that, well, hum, I'm, I'm, I'm people that are humble, they're just weak. And, you know, if they're meek, I, I've said this before, Jesus was meek and lowly, but he said all power in heaven and earth is given to me. 
So realizing that before honor is humility. And so Jesus was trying to show them how important humility was in the kingdom of God. His unselfish act provides a window uh, the followers of Jesus can look through, revealing how vital it is to humble ourselves and serve others. In Proverbs 22 and 4, it says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life, things that people look for. And so he says, if you want them, be humble and fear the Lord. So that's an attitude adjustment for a lot of people. Humility. A lot of people are not very humble. Some people are very prideful, but pride goeth before destruction. I don't want to be prideful and, and think that, hey, look what I've done, and, and I'm better than this, and I'm better than that, and I'm better than them, and, and I'm all this, and, and you know, God, I'm God's, you know, uh, I'm not here to make myself of any reputation. I'm here to serve the kingdom of God. In Luke 19 and 10, we are introduced to the mission of Christ. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. His compassion for the lost was the central focus of his ministry. Jesus was willing to commit the most unselfish, humble act of all time by laying down his life for others. In John 15 and 13, we were reminded, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Now the third way that we can possess the same attitude that Jesus had while having the mind of Christ is to have a total dependence on God. And that's hard for a lot of people because people are control freaks. They want to have control of the situation. They want to order things and uh, say, hey, this is how it's got to go, and it must be like this, or I can't take it. But you're going to learn that God is in control, that it's God that orders our steps in his word. And so I want to make sure that I am totally dependent on God. Even Jesus in John uh, chapter 5, he, he made it clear that he could not do anything without first the Father revealing to him what needed to be done. And our lives will be meaningless without a complete reliance upon God to reveal to us what we must do with our lives. Even Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. You know what that tells me? Depended on him. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Total dependent upon him for salvation. I'm dependent on him for everything I need. And he shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. I am dependent on him. It's his mercy that's new every morning. It's his compassions that fail not. I, if I don't want to just away, if I don't want to just be consumed, I need his mercy and his grace. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I am totally, completely dependent on him. I am baptized into one body by the Spirit. I am dependent on him for the access into the body. It takes him. Don't ever think that we're going to be able to do it without him. And so uh, the scripture says that order, uh, the, he orders our steps in his word. I'm dependent on him for the way to go. I need him. I need him. How about you? So fulfilling the mission of Jesus by humbling ourselves, reaching out to others and serving and saving can only be conducted by a total dependence upon the Spirit of God. Becoming someone whose lives or who lives to serve others is very noble, but you will have to have most likely an attitude adjustment before you get there. We've got to get things in order. The role and purpose of a servant has many dimensions. 
But for the sake of this lesson, we're just going to look at four things. First, servants think of others before thinking of themselves. Again, that's hard to imagine in this world. People like to do for themselves. Nothing wrong. Peter at the very beginning, save yourselves. But look, once you've been filled, once you've been washed, once you become his child, man, we're supposed to be reaching out. We're supposed to be serving. We're supposed to be uh, working with others. We're supposed to be... uh, we're laborers in the harvest. Where do you think they're coming from? They're not being shipped uh, from some other part of the country. Oh, he's talking about us, the church. He's, not, he's looking at us to do the things that we're supposed to be doing. And so we think of others before thinking of ourselves. Philippians 2 and 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So you're putting people in front of you. That's... The nature uh, of a servant. Second, servants will lower themselves to lift others up. I must decrease, he must increase. Uh, This is exactly what Jesus did by giving up the splendor of heaven in order to die on a gruesome cross for the sins of humanity. And you and I may never go to that extreme where we have to die, physically die for somebody, but we must lower our view of ourselves. Not be so self-important so we can spend our lives serving those around us. We can never think that some task or service is beneath us because when we do that, then we reveal our pride. Oh, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. I saw a little meme the other day. A guy said, you're called to ministry, like with a question mark, and then said, you won't even stack chairs. I was like, come on. We don't see it as much anymore. The things, uh, it's a little different. The culture is a little different. But I remember uh, always working, cutting grass around the church. Me and my wife at the church we came up in, we, for a long time, we cleaned the, all the bathrooms, vacuumed the sanctuary, did things, uh, and was glad to do it. It wasn't like, oh, man, I can't believe. It was God's house. It was the one I served. It's his house, and I wanted it to be nice. I wanted it to be clean. I wanted it to be ready for people to come in and, and f- so people could worship. And, and so it was, it was being a servant. It's what you did. And so uh, the third role and purpose of a servant will tie closely with the previous description. Servants recognize the importance of furthering the cause of another, trying to help somebody else make it. You know, we always we don't. I don't want to see nobody fail. Amen. I want to see people make it, Amen. whether it's in a ministry, whether it's just in their walk. I don't want to see them give up. I don't want to see them surrender. I want to be able to speak a word of encouragement, a word of faith. I want to be able to pray a prayer of faith. I want to help somebody and recognize it's important that we invest in people and disciple people. Be a friendly, personable child of God. So that you can encourage somebody else. Be the kind of Christian that people want to be around. And not the one that they run from. You know, that they go, oh no, they caught me before I got out of here. Don't be, you know, don't be that kind of person. You know, uh, it's like that saying, don't wait until, I don't want to have to wait until I'm dead for people to say nice things about me. You know, I want to live a good life now and realize that, um, I'm here to help others, to encourage others, to strengthen others, to, 
to, to speak a good word to people. Uh, and if we examine the life of Jesus, we can see that was his primary focus. He was teaching his disciples what to do. He was investing in them. He told Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. He was letting Peter know, you're going to be sifted, bro. It's going to come. It's going to happen. You're going to deny me. Woo, it's going to be hard. But I have prayed for you that your faith fails not. Don't, don't give up. Don't quit. I don't want you to stop. And so Jesus was always, I mean, look at, he washed the feet of them, and he knew that what Judas was about to do. But he went ahead, and he, and he did these things. Uh, Jesus was uh, always providing the miracles of another chance. You know, he was furthering the cause of other people. The woman that they brought to him caught in the act of adultery, they was fixing to kill her. It was it. She's fixing to check out. And Jesus speaks a word so powerful that she's given another chance. He says, go your way, sin no more. But she lived to see another day because he gave her another chance. There were people that had died that he raised back to life, gave them another opportunity at life. There were people who were sick with diseases whose life was out of control, gave them another chance at life, always furthering the cause of others. People that he said, even the one woman, he said, you know, I can't give the children's bread to dogs. But she said, yeah, but the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he said, who great is your faith. And he said, now, he said, you go ahead, your daughter will be healed. And, and she was healed. So he was always furthering the cause. He was able to look past things and, and see these people need help. They need something that I can give. And so finally, the servants are willing to lay down their lives for others. And so we're reminded, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. This selfless act of Jesus, giving his life so others could have abundant life, is the greatest act of humility ever revealed. Servanthood is the attitude that God desires for his children. That's what he wants for you and I. In order to fulfill his purpose upon the earth, there's truly no greater purpose than the purpose of the kingdom of God. There is no greater purpose in this world than the purpose of the kingdom of God. It was so important that Jesus included it when they said, Teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And he's not going to show back up in flesh and walk around here and start doing miracles again. He's got a church full of his spirit that's supposed to be doing it. He's not walking around uh, preaching and giving hope again. He's got a host and army of, of soldiers of the Lord that are supposed to be preaching and, and giving this word out and doing signs and wonders and miracles. These signs will follow them that believe. And so uh, don't be looking for him to, to, to drop down here again. There ain't going to be no more virgin births, things like that. Nothing like that's happening again. He's done that. He's done everything he needs to do to equip us to do the job and the work of the kingdom. So we need to make sure we are being servants. Jesus declared that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Yes. Seek what first? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Yes. Servanthood is the attitude that God desires uh, for us. So let's make sure we're getting it. The, this is primarily accomplished in three manners. First, by being servants, we give glory to God. When we do these good works, people see it and glorify our Father which is in heaven. We bring glory to God. We must also understand that by being servants, we identify with our master and seek to fulfill the purpose that he came to fulfill by helping others or by helping to seek and save the lost. 
The entire mission of Jesus can be summed up in Luke 19 and 10. He came to seek and save that which was lost. That should be our, our mission can't be any different. That's why he told them before he left to go and preach repentance and remission of sin in his name beginning at Jerusalem. He said, teach them to, in Matthew, he told them, said, teach them to observe all things that I've taught you. He said, teach them to obey. People need to learn how to live for God. And somebody's got to be able to teach them. But if the church don't know how to act like him, how can they teach him? So we need preaching. We need teaching. We need study. We need prayer. We need to assimilate ourselves to the word of God. We need an attitude like Christ. So we can live unselfishly. Finally, by being servants, we follow the pattern that Jesus set forth by being obedient and humbling ourselves. The entire ministry of Jesus was spent training and leading his disciples. Uh, you know, we heard a, a guy at the forum while we were in Mississippi or Louisiana, and he said that for their leadership team, anybody that's in a leadership role in their church, they have to have at least one disciple in their life. They've got to actively be working with somebody, teaching them, praying with them, training them, Bible studies, teaching them how to live for God. Something, isn't it? I'd love to see that happen. I'd love to see for every, every saint have somebody that they're discipling, somebody they're working with, teaching them how to be more like Jesus. Just think if everybody had one, how many, how, how great an army we could raise up. So we won't be obedient, humble ourselves, training disciples, teaching them the importance of being obedient to God, serving others in such a way that it is revealed, or it was revealed that they were disciples of Jesus. They could tell just by the way that they acted. I like the story in Acts where uh, they were questioning the apostles and they said they could tell that these men had been with Jesus. I want to make sure that no matter what I look like, you know, or what they think of my education or, or mental capacity, that they can just tell I have been with the Lord. So Paul wrote, again, we'll just be reminded of what he wrote, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Fully becoming a servant does not happen again overnight. It doesn't come in the package of new birth. It is something that is learned. Something, you know, People come from all walks, walks of life and they have an encounter with God. And while they can be filled and their sins can be washed away, they're still some things going on in here that they'll never know unless they find out what's in here. And so a new convert is a baby, and they've got to be taught how to grow into maturity in the Lord. That's why even Peter said in different places that we grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to continue growing in him. So it doesn't happen overnight. We must constantly be fighting against the spirit of this age that promotes the elevation of self. Because how can we take on the role of a servant if we're just always taking care of ourselves? Primarily, Jesus revealed two distinct paths that we must go on in order to fulfill the role of a servant. Number one, uh, he said that those who will be great must first learn to serve, Matthew 20, 
25 through 28. He said, if we're going to be great, then we're going to learn how to serve people. We're going to learn how to serve each other. Each of us has a dream of greatness. Don't you want to do something great? I do. Jesus said, things I've done and greater things shall you do. Not so I can say, hey, look how great I am, but so that people can say, look how great his God is. So we want to be great parents, great employees, great leaders, great men, great women. The idea of average does not appeal to anyone. I don't want to just, I'm just average. Uh, you know, we, we, we beat ourselves up. We put ourselves down, but, but that's not how God, you know what? That's part of that mind of Christ. You got to see yourself the way God sees you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. So just remember that, uh, you know, the Bible says wondrous are his works and, and marvelous are his works. Well, we're the works of his hand. And so make sure you don't, don't talk about God's creation. So I don't talk about nobody else. Well, don't talk about yourself. Quit putting yourself down. So we all have a little bit of, you know, James and John in us. Lord, we want a place of prominence. We want to be great. We want to sit on this. Let us sit on one on the left and one on the right. And, and so their request was completely out of line. Uh, the deep underlying motive, the desire for greatness is something which, which we all can identify. But Jesus, his response was clear. He did not correct their desire. He redirected their hearts to the proper path to servanthood. When he said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. By the obedience of one man, many are made righteous. That's what it says about the Lord. But now he's in us. And just think about how many souls can be altered if we'll just be obedient to the Scripture. And so the second path is found in Matthew 23, 11, and 12, where Jesus proclaims that those who will be exalted must humble themselves. While warning people against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, Jesus instructed his listeners to put on humility. Again, the desire to be lifted up is in all of us, and our nature is to want people to recognize us. Some desire public recognition, while others, perhaps those who do not prefer crowds or public affection, they still wish for recognition, even if it's very subtle. Everybody wants a pat on the back. They can say it all day long, it don't matter, but everybody likes to hear, good job. According to Jesus, the kingdom of God has little room for those who wish to elevate themselves. For those, Matthew 23 and 12 says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. So you see how it works? Humble yourself and you'll be exalted. So that's what I want to do. And then remember uh, that uh, by humility and fear of the Lord is riches, honor, life. That's where, that's where you want to go. These two approaches seem foreign to the thinking of our culture, but each possess the proper pathway of servanthood in the kingdom of God. And so to show forth the love of Christ in this world today, we must strive to be more like Jesus by humbling ourselves, serving others within and without the church. And this is how people will know that we are his disciples. He said, they'll know you're my disciples when they see you love one another. And in that love, it's always given. Honey, you can come to the music. We'll finish with this. You can stand with me. In everybody knows, if you say Titanic, everybody in here knows what you're talking about. It's that big ship that went down when it hit that iceberg. 
The tragic end of this sea vessel is one of the most horrific events in history. But it revealed something important that this lesson also portrays. According to survivors' accounts, the Women and Children First Convention was observed with almost no dissension, particularly among the, among the upper classes. The statistics make this plain. In first class, every child was saved. Every first class child was saved, as were all but five of the 144 women, three of whom chose to die with their husbands. They would not leave. By contrast, 70% of the men perished from the upper class. In second class, 80% of the women were saved, but 90% of the men drowned. The quote here from this book says, The men on the first class list of the Titanic virtually made up the Forbes 400 of the time. John Jacob Astor, reputedly the richest man of his day, is said to have fought his way to a boat, put his wife in it, and then stepped back and waved her goodbye. Benjamin Guggenheim similarly refused to take a seat saying, Tell my wife, I played the game out straight and to the end. No woman shall be left aboard this ship because Ben Guggenheim was a coward. In other words, some of the most powerful men in the world adhered to an unwritten code of honor, even though it meant certain death for them. So what a powerful lesson in how we must also give our lives for others. The kingdom of God requires that each of us endeavor to submit to the ways of Jesus and become what he desires of us in order to impact our world. How will they know there is a Jesus if we're not living like him? So I'm telling them, yeah, but if, they, if you tell them one thing and doing another, it never works. It's like he preached about having a double, being double-minded. You're unstable in all your ways. We've got to make up our minds. Choose this day whom you will serve and, and serve the Lord with gladness and, and serve him in humility. Serve him you know, without grumbling and murmuring and disputings and, and, and love one another. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And so by taking on the role of a servant and humbling ourselves, others will see the image of Christ is being formed in us on an everyday basis. So today as we lift our hands to pray, let's search our hearts and ask God to help us in taking on this necessary attitude that Jesus so well examples for us. Lord, adjust my attitude. Let's lift our hands and pray together this morning. Thank you, Lord, for giving us such a powerful godly example to live in this life. Lord, I pray that each one of us will strive daily to mirror the walk that you walked while you were on this earth. Lord, help us to be better in the servant area, to be humble, to have compassion for the lost, Lord, to to be a servant. Lord, we're going to praise you for it. Let us be profitable laborers for your harvest. We're going to give you the glory and we're going to point people toward you We're going to decrease so that you can increase in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Let's just lift our hands and worship for a moment. we got a couple of minutes. Hallelujah. Just lift your voice to him for a moment and love him for a moment. God's been good to you. Hallelujah.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I think that maybe as time has drawn on that we've gotten very busy with church things. And there's an old saying, keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing that Jesus was trying to do was save people. And so let's make sure that in the busyness of building a church and a congregation that we don't lose sight of what's important that souls are important that we don't lose sight of the fact that somebody needs to hear the gospel somebody needs to be told there's hope somebody needs to realize that somebody somewhere loves them let's make sure that souls are number one on our list how about that praise God give the Lord a hand clap this morning what a great God thankful for him. Let's find a place to pray. We've got about 15 minutes. Let's find a place to pray before the next service. Looking for God to do some great things. God bless you.